Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone. It is the 14th of June. I am Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LeBurge here as part of week two of Carmen's vacation, as I've heard from her in the last few days. Sounds like she's having an outstanding time in California at a fitness camp, getting some time away. This is her first break since taking over the morning show for me a few years ago, and it's been so fun to be back in the chair with all of you, some of the guests that are put together all throughout the week, just bringing perspective from a wide variety of angles within God's kingdom. It's a great way to start the day with all of you, and I'm looking forward to our first guest this morning. It's Pastor Steph Williams O'Brien, who has released a book called Make a Move, How to Stop Wavering and Make Decisions in a Disorienting World. And part of what I love about this book and this concept is that as I sit in my classes with my young people, uh, as some of you know, I, I teach at a local university here, University of Northwestern St. Paul, in the Christian Ministries programs, as well as another local university, been pastor in churches as well. And as, I, as I'm in these churches and as I'm in these classrooms, probably among the top three questions that might get asked in a class uh, would, would revolve around something related to the problem of evil and suffering would be one category, certainly, that people have a lot of interest and understandable confusion on. A second question would be about matters of sexuality. It's a class that I teach as well, and so much has changed over the last 15 years on that topic. But the third category is what we're going to get into here this morning with Pastor Steph, and that relates to what it means to hear God's voice and and to be a person who, in the midst of a difficult world in which things are so confusing, how is it that we can make reliable decisions that are consistent with the kingdom? It calls to mind a quote that I read this morning from A.W. Tozer that says, The world is waiting to hear an authentic voice, a voice from God and not an echo of what others are doing and saying, an authentic voice. And again, I think for most of us, we want to be able to discern and and live within that still small voice of the Spirit so that we can be the kind of children of light that we want to be in the midst of a dark and broken world. And one of the things we need to start with, if we're going to walk that out, is to... um, to ask the question, do we, do we know that God is real? Because I think many of us are maybe in relationship with ideas about God, and that is a really important thing. We need to study God. We need to know what life is like in his kingdom. We want to walk in those ways. But there can be a little bit of a difference between knowing ideas about God and knowing God himself and, and walking in an interactive, mysterious, though real relationship with God in a reliable way. And I really do mean reliable because I'm sure many of us, uh, in, as you're listening this morning, and I've had people come and say, I have words for you, or I know what God's will is for your life, or things that can sound kind of funky uh, at times, too. So how do we have a, a reliable, ongoing relationship with a very real God as the children of light to shine that light in the darkness? And that's going to be the topic up first here on the 14th of June with Pastor Steph Williams O'Brien.
So one of the things that happened last Friday here on the morning show is we got uh, struck down by technology, as it were, as we were trying to chat with Matthew Hawkins, who is a regular guest on the program, brings um, subjects of public theology and, and does such a great job of talking through that. And we were in the middle of the interview, and of course we lost connection with Matthew Hawkins, and we are now currently struggling with the same thing with Pastor Steph William O'Brien. So we're going to go old school here this morning. I'm sure many of you remember such a thing as a corded telephone on a wall in which you could only maybe stray some, uh, oh, I don't know, 8 to 10 feet away. So I think we can hear Steph in the background here right now as we're trying to get in touch with her uh, on the phone. And it's... Oh yeah, this is this is the era before cell phone, and this is the era before uh, computer, before Skype, before Zoom. So we're working this out, and uh, Ryan Mitchell is handling the the production this morning. Ryan, it sounds like we have Steph on the line at this point. Good morning, Steph. Good morning. Now, believe it or not, I believe our connection is coming through a corded phone on the wall. And I don't want to date you this morning, Steph, in terms of how old you may or may not be. But did you ever speak <laughs> on a phone that was attached to a wall? This, you know, this must have been what the eighteen hundreds at this point. Yeah, uh, you know, I I did, I did, I had plenty of those experiences wrapping my, you know, wrapping around my fingers when I was a long conversation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it has been a long time. It has been a long time. It's true. Yeah, but you know, I just feel like this last eighteen months or so. Instead of saying we're having technical difficulties, I just say we're in a technical situation. I like and that. And just some days are better than others. <laughs> no, absolutely like that. Yeah, I remember as a kid growing up, if my mom was stuck on the phone on the wall just talking to a friend, and she, I'm sure she needed to be, but boy, if she needed my attention, she could only help me out about 10 feet away. So let's just say I can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny that I once hung up the phone on her to get my freezy, freaky cereal in that morning because that was critical as a five-year-old. You know, knowing you the way I do, I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> Well, it's great to have you on the program, Steph. And you're obviously a, you're a pastor. We teach together at a local university. You uh, teach preaching at a seminary as well. I know you're on the board of institutions, too. And you released your second book, from what I understand here, and that is called Make a Move, How to Stop Wavering and Make Decisions in a Disorienting World. Steph, in the opener, I mentioned the idea that in my classes and in churches that I've been in over all these years, probably one of the top three questions is wanting to make a reliable decision through Mm -hmm. hearing God's voice. Is that sort of what you found as you've been a pastor and a professor as well? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's been, you know, top of the list. And, you know, kind of like you were saying, if God is real, then the next question is, how do we follow this God in this world, Uh, especially when it feels disorienting? So as you sort of launch the book, what I see in some of the reviews as well as what you're trying to write is you're, you're trying to take, you're, you're not doing away with the mystery that God is real, but you're trying to make it a bit more accessible to people from what I understand. Would that be a, maybe a fair characterization and what would be some first steps into this? Yeah, absolutely. I find that, you know, following God has been a challenge in my life in different ways. And, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for the love of Jesus and that experience, but there are times when it feels really murky and it feels really unsure of how to take next steps. But when we do figure out how to, you know, get unstuck and take these steps towards following the Holy Spirit in our lives, it can be the most exciting and most rewarding thing. And so I just hoped for that for people. And in the many conversations I've had as a pastor and as a professor, when people have that experience where it just clicks and they experience stepping into what God's calling them into in these different ways, not, not, not a big picture calling necessarily, but everyday calling, uh, in addition to big picture calling, it's just so, it's such an amazing experience to kind of be in step with the Spirit, as we might say, yet it's not very easily uh, practical often. So I thought, you know, there are actually some ways that I think it can be really practical, and it needs to be if it's disorienting, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. I, I picked the title of this book 
right, uh, in 2019, and actually wrote most of the book after the pandemic began, uh, just based on how timing went. And so I thought I didn't know how disorienting the world could be <laughs> until <laughs> until I actually was writing it. And, you know, I feel like the Lord just gave me um, so, uh, the ability and the time and the space to write down some ways we can really practically follow a, yes, absolutely, a mysterious God. So what are some of the ways you find that people do get stuck, Steph? And and I know that for me, I have been stuck, and sometimes yep. it's been a paralyzing fear of not wanting to make the right decision. Sometimes it just seems mm-hmm. so clouded. I mean, what are some ways that you would say, hey, these are really common ways, if you're listening this morning, that you might be getting yeah. stuck? Yeah, people need to feel like they are not alone. If you feel stuck in decision-making, um, well, first of all, I think that we can just get really stuck with decision fatigue and feeling just like, man, I have had to make a lot of decisions. I know a lot of people have felt that way this last year. I think that we can feel uh, stuck because of what you just said in a form of, I just want to make the right decision. And sometimes, and I, I talk about this quite a bit in the book, that the the desire to follow God's will, which is a, a really common topic, very important. But sometimes I think that there's an invitation from God for us to join in, just like a child would with a parent. And as a parent, we might say, no, this is your decision. What do you want to do? How, how do you want to take a step? And we sit around waiting for God to tell us something when God's already said, hey, come on in. There's multiple options here. Let's do this together. And so uh, getting really stuck on the right will of God, this perfect will, instead of maybe the way that Jesus invites us to follow the Spirit. So I talk a lot about the difference between uh, an over-focus on the will of God and an under-focus on the way of the Holy Spirit or the way that Jesus invites us to follow the Spirit as a counselor. Yeah, I think what you just said there, Steph, is the linchpin of the book for, insofar as I understand it, and it's very intriguing. So I think for listeners, if they might not be familiar with that kind of language, let's let's talk about that a little bit uh, around the, how they come together, but what is also different between discerning God's will for my life as if I'm just stepping into these things that already are going to take place versus following the way through his spirit as as we try to walk as people in his kingdom. How would you characterize sort of the similarity, but also the difference in that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, as a pastor, I'm going to go right to scripture. So when I look at particularly the book of Acts, where we see the first groups of people not having the, you know, incarnate Jesus anymore, but being given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then needing to figure out how to carry forth, well, arguably the most important mission that any humans had ever carried forth, which has resulted in this worldwide movement of the church, which is why we're even speaking today and why many people are listening today, because it was a successful mission that God led them on, but they were trying to figure out what do we do? And I remember being a kid, and I would trace those those maps in the back of my Bible when I got a little bored in the sermon. Don't tell anyone, but you know, I I start tracing those little maps that were Paul's missionaries' journeys, of course. And you know, we have to remember that map was not given to Paul, so he knew where to go. Paul made that journey with his companions, and then those maps were were made later to be put in the back of our Bibles. And I don't know how many times I could tell you that I wished that I would get that map ahead of time and know where exactly does God want me to be? Where exactly am I supposed to go? And, you know, Paul and Peter and the early church and the early leaders, Lydia, they didn't, they didn't get that map. Um, the map was, was written later as they tried to figure out how a common script uh, passage that we reference is, it seems good to us in the Holy Spirit to move forward. And so I think we see some principles there of discerning after what God might be inviting people into that looks a lot more like listening together with other people, taking steps and realizing, well, that's not quite right. That's that's kind of my thought with make a move. How do we make moves te- te- stepping towards the things that God might be inviting us into? And along the way, you see in the book of Acts that the Spirit of Jesus will stop people if they're not supposed to go there. And then 
a really amazing conversation will happen that you never expected. And every once in a while, there's like a, a dream or a vision, but even that's not totally clear. And then oftentimes, you know, for instance, in Acts 16, Paul has this dream about a man from Macedonia wanting his help. And they set out on their journey in the middle of the night because they're so, you know, oh, man, I think this is finally God saying something to us. And then they get to a destination and there is no man from Macedonia that God has waiting for them on the other side. But there is a woman named Lydia who ends up being the gatekeeper to all of Europe evangelistically. And so uh, many men from Macedonia were probably helped by the ripple effect of her ministry. And so it's not always the, the, this clarity that we would love to have, especially as kind of Western minds in a, the, the cultures that we are most familiar with. We just love to have a plan and we just want a strategic plan. Um, but that's not what the early church was given. And unfortunately, I don't think it's what we are either when it comes to following the Spirit. I love it. We're talking with Pastor Steph Williams O'Brien this morning. If you have a question about hearing God's voice or anything that we're talking about this morning, it'd be a great time to text into the studio at 877-933-2484. That's 877-933-2484. And we come back from a short break. I'm going to ask Steph uh, about how do we know when maybe we're walking in the wrong direction and not be afraid of that, but but to have our course corrected, whether it's through the voice of God in our lives, through other people, just ways to discern all of that. So stay with us. More to come here on Mornings with Carmen. Back to the show. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmela Burge, and we're starting our day this morning on the 14th of June with all of you and with Pastor Steph Williams O'Brien talking about hearing God's voice in our life. If you have a question or a comment about this or anything that you hear throughout the morning, I would love to hear from you. I love texting back and forth with you during these two hours at 877-933-2484. Steph, you ever make a bad decision uh, along these lines as you're sort of experimenting, wondering the, the move forward? And, and how do we know when we're maybe making a bad decision like that? I mean, I haven't made any bad decisions, but I'm sure some of the <laughs> listeners have, so we can talk about it. That's fair <laughs> no, enough. Absolutely. Hypothetically, right. Yeah, absolutely. No, there are so many times when, you know, you get down a road and you go, whoops, this is not it. And sometimes that's just, it's not a good fit. And other times it's, you know, really leaning into it to temptation or something that God really doesn't want from you. And what I love about God is this invitation to turn around. You know, we use the word repent in the theological sense, but what it really means is turn around and look for what God might be doing, right? See what God's actual invitation is for you. And it might be forgiveness and it might just be, hey, let's keep stepping in a different direction. And what does it look like to do that and to, to accept grace and to accept that mercy and then that leadership of the Holy Spirit to, to turn into a different direction. Um, in the book, I talk a lot about how important it is that we have other people in our life that we really trust to be our, you know, kind of discernment committee, to be our, our clearness committee, as the Quaker tradition calls it, to be people who we trust to help us as we are on this road, figuring out what God might be inviting us into, which is so key for all of us. And it helps us when we do kind of end up on the wrong path as well. Hmm. How, have you cultivated those kind of relationships in the past, Steph, or do they kind of come and go with some of the trusted people or the clearness committee that you reference? Because it is tricky sometimes to wonder, is, is this God's voice I'm hearing right now, or is this my own desire, or is this maybe the voice of the enemy? Like, how do I walk that out, and, and how do you develop those trusted relationships? Yeah, it's such a good question. Um, you know, I've had different groups in my life and different 
spaces, but also some folks have been consistent. And in the book, I mentioned, you know, hey, it doesn't even have to anymore be people that are all in the same geographical location, right? Mm, we can right. connect in different ways and bring to people uh, the questions that we have in our mind and our heart. Um, but it does look like being intentional and to to ask people to be those folks in your life. And it doesn't have to be a huge group, but, you know, just your spouse is probably not going to be a good plan either, <laughs> or just a single best friend or something like that. I think there's a reason that 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 sense of community is what we see in uh, the early church and, and an invitation that we have to to yes to to have that kind of those kinds of folks. So I just encourage people to be intentional and to ask people to be in that kind of team, so to speak. And I actually have an outline uh, taken from the Quaker tradition around how to ask questions in a clearness committee uh, outlined in the book and in the appendix as well, because it's such an important concept. Yeah, I was part of an evangelical church at one point on a pastoral staff with about nine or ten of us, and we used some of those principles, some of those ideas from the Quaker tradition of the Clearness Committee and it, as we developed some, some trusted teams around us. And it was really a sweet time to have trusted brothers and sisters to be able to help walk this out, because it's not even just that you want to hear God's voice, but then as you step in it together, you're sort of in it together, and you succeed or fail together. And there's something about that, and carrying the weight of God's kingdom with other people in those ways that I think is really helpful. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree. So the book is Make a Move, if you're listening this morning. It's uh, released maybe about a month ago, How to Stop Wavering and Make Decisions in a Disorienting World. If you are among the people that would like to be able to sort of get unstuck and get through some of the paralysis we often feel in following God in this world, it's a great book. I highly recommend it. Steph, one of the things I think we don't talk about maybe as often as we're trying to follow God's voice is we make it about the decision and the outcome so often. But at least in the course of my own journey, I can think about times in which trying to follow God's lead, it was more about God just saying, hey, we're going to talk a little bit more about a surrendered heart here, Kapsner, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about removing some idolatry from your life in these places. And so it almost was less about the decision itself than it was about the formation that was going on within the decision. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. Have you experienced some of that as well as you're sort of walking out? I mean, I know as a church pastor, Steph, you've got everything perfect, right? I mean, there's never been any hypocrisy in church leadership (laughs) or anything like that. It's all it's all been good. I mean, how do you walk this out as a as a pastor too, in front of people just sort of leading the church? Because there's a sense in which you invite people in, but then there can be agendas and there can be turmoil. Have you had a chance to walk this out as you're leading a church? Yeah, absolutely. So in my mind, a lot of the process of this decision making that might happen with individual decisions is very true for leadership as well. And how do we model that as whether it's a faith leader like myself or as parents or as mentors to other folks, how do we model this, this stepping into discernment through movement um, and, and being bold and stepping towards what God might be inviting us into in the book, I outline just how we can use the concept of experimenting, which we might, you know, use in the scientific method if we were doing a biological experiment. But, you know, what is an experiment in biology? Well, it's a question you have that you don't know the answer to. So you start to experiment to figure out what might be the way and the answer to it. And like you just said, part of the process itself is what it's all about. And then you get to a, you know, you have your hypothesis, you get to a conclusion. What, what, do, what does a scientist do? They start more experiments. And they just keep going from experiment to experiment, learning and learning and discovering things that they didn't know before they made those moves and took those steps. And so I try to do that as a leader with my larger church, with our elder board and with the other folks who are a part of our leadership to model this, you know, experimenting and taking steps and trying things. And we even use that language a lot. We just say, hey, we're stepping into instead of saying, hey, we're launching this new program. 
uh, because if any leaders out there, you know, we're not totally sure how it's going to go. <laughs> we say, hey, we're going to try this experiment and see if it meets people's needs, or we're going to try this experiment and see if the Holy Spirit is leading us to this, uh, you know, mission experiment here in our in our city. And then we're going to listen and learn and pay attention to the Holy Spirit throughout that process in order to see what we might learn. And it's not so much trial and error. It's actually trial and learn. That's what anybody who's mm. doing a, a scientific experiment would say. And I think it's true for our lives also. Yeah, I love it, Steph. One more time, if you're listening this morning, uh, the book is Make a Move. Highly recommend it as a way to practically follow God in this world, to hear his voice in, re- in reliable and trustworthy ways. Steph, before we run, I should mention you do have a podcast, right? Yes, I do. My friend Joe Saxton and I do a weekly podcast on just life and leadership and the things that people are facing. Uh, it's two gals, but it's for anyone to listen in. We love for our Lead Stories men to listen in. And um, it's anywhere you get your podcast. It's just called the Lead Stories Podcast. I love it. Well, I, I will happily be a Lead Stories dude for you, Steph, there. And I love, <laughs> love listening to all your work. If So, again, if you're listening, catch the podcast Steph is on called Lead Stories, the book, Make a Move. Steph does a great job just walking through a difficult circumstances in life. Steph, great to talk to you this morning. Have a great rest of the morning. You too. We'll take a short break, come up for some bottom-of-the-hour news, and when we come back in the second half of this hour, hour one here for the 14th of June, we'll be chatting with Adam Carrington. Adam joins us regularly here on The Morning Show, and there's lots going on with the Supreme Court, so stay with us. There's going to be lots more to come here. So appreciate that conversation with Pastor Steph. She sort of keeps the mystery in our relationship with God, which is so important since God is so wholly other than us and yet gives us some practical ways in which we can follow God, almost feeling like we are stepping a little bit into the book of Acts. So if you missed that interview, if you're just sort of waking up this morning and catching the show, highly recommend going back to MyFaithRadio.com and checking out the podcast. Looking forward to our next conversation with Adam Carrington. We are in the heat of the Supreme Court season. There are a lot of important decisions that are certainly going to impact our lives here as believers that have been made and also are on the docket to be made. So stay with us. More to come. I love watching those reality talent shows like The Voice and America's Got Talent. But I'm always saddened when I see contestants begging to get through to the next round as if their very lives depended on it. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. A teen's sense of self-worth and value can be wrapped up in a number of things, but by far the most significant factor is how well they can perform. So what does it look like in today's culture? It's the girl who will stop at nothing to earn good grades and feels the need to cheat in school, or the boy who turns to steroids to fulfill his obsessive drive to be the best in sports. Is your teen acting like their very lives depend on how they perform? Make sure they know that no matter how they do, you'll always love them just the same. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Check out his latest resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org.
It is about 23 minutes before the top of the hour here on Mornings with Carmen. Carmen obviously is away today and the rest of this week as well. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in and was very excited to talk with a good friend, an old friend here, and Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College who joins the program on a regular basis to talk through some of the legal headlines, but also just some of the cultural headlines that are important to us. Adam, great to hear your voice. Good morning. Glad to be back. I, I have actually been on break since uh, we didn't have a show my normal Monday for Memorial Day. So uh, right. hello, everyone. Hope you've all had a good last month. And I assume, Adam, that you're just sitting in your sandals sipping tea right now as well since you're off for the summer with your students, right? You kind of just you hang it up for about four months straight here. <laughs> uh, that, 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 that would seem to be the case, but I always seem to have some projects and other teaching responsibilities in the summer. It, uh, there's always something you can find to do. And and we actually just moved from Princeton, New Jersey, back to Hillsdale. I think some regular listeners had heard that I had been out there for the year. So also uh, uh, readjusting to life in rural Michigan, which is a good adjustment. I love it. Well, there's certainly a lot to cover this morning and hardly know where to begin, but perhaps the Supreme Court, since they're in the busy part of their season, would be a good spot to do just that. It sounds like there's some religious liberty cases, some other cases. Where do you want to go here? Yes, and they've been holding out on the big cases as they did last year because normally they try to the, – the way the Supreme Court calendar works is they begin on the first Monday of every October and then their term runs till usually about the end of June. And that's more uh, – that the end point there is more traditional. They don't have to. But often that means the big cases get saved for last both for dramatic purposes and for the fact that they spend the longest time writing and debating these. So we, we've talked on the show before about some some religious liberty cases like Fulton v. City of Philadelphia. That's a religious liberty case for a Catholic charity group. Can they do or can they do adoption services according to their own views about human sexuality? Uh, but there's some others, too, that I think people could be interested in that I don't think we've brought up on, on the show before. Uh, one is uh, a case to keep an eye out for is Americans for Prosperity versus Rodriguez. And what this has to do is with something that might seem a little more mundane. Can, can a state force a charity or nonprofit group to publish their donor list? Who donates to them? Now, on one hand, people think some people think this is a good idea because it would create transparent transparency uh, as to far as you know there's a lot of debate who do, who gives to what is someone buying out someone or getting influence but the concern on the other side and this has a long history is could this be used in our own day of cancel culture to go after people who, with their money, try to support causes and things that they believe in, including, I think, for a, a lot of things uh, Christian-based that listeners here would be very attached to, that could uh, then be sort of outed and 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 attacked and 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 gone after. So that would be another kind of case where I think that that people might it not, it's not getting the big headlines, but it might be something to keep in mind later. Uh, and then also, I know uh, a lot. Of you, uh, people here are sports fans, uh, myself too. Uh, the, the NCAA actually has been hauled before the Supreme Court. There's a question about whether the fact that in our contemporary debate, we've been debating whether we should pay student athletes, um, whether not paying them violates antitrust law has now become an issue. So uh, I, I think that, you know, there, there's some cases that, that haven't gotten big headlines that I think people might find interesting once they actually do come out. 
Well, and I suppose the counter-argument, too, about paying athletes is as long as they're getting scholarships, that's quite a big payment that they're receiving at that point in time. I get it when you get down to the Division three level if scholarships are not available and students are, are, are spending so much of their time in athletics and generating money for the institution. So that'll be an interesting one to watch. But circling back in terms of should we make public some of the donor lists, Adam, I, I think we, that would be another step towards sort of some dystopian future where uh, we, we end up seeing everybody out in public that way. And then we can kind of do almost whatever we want because of social media. I, I just it would be shocking to me if we took a step like that, if we didn't experience the major cancel culture and people as they target businesses right now would begin to start targeting individuals out of a sense of power. Yeah. And I would add to that, there's a close parallel that it, on the Supreme court that I think makes it very unlikely. I would be stunned if, if, if these donor lists aren't protected on first amendment free speech grounds. And that is that in Alabama in the 1950s, the state of Alabama during segregation tried to force the NAACP to, uh, publish their their member lists with the implicit that that would allow people to, you know, the Ku Klux Klan and others to go after them and or to keep people from being willing to join. And what they argued was not just free speech, but the idea of free association, that being able to freely associate with people you agree with without harassment from the government and without uh, impri- lack of protection from the government from other sources of harassment, that all of that is essential to a free government and to protecting people to be able to freely express their views. So uh, I'm, I, I, I would be very surprised if this doesn't become a robust victory for, for, for those who want to be able to keep these kind of things private. Mm, one more quick thought on the Supreme Court here, Adam, and that is I saw some momentum over the last few weeks from perhaps the left side of the aisle that would like to see some, uh, at least Stephen Breyer retire at this point, one of the Supreme Court justices, because of the fear that perhaps Republicans are going to take over the House, maybe the Senate, maybe the White House here over the next two or three years. And they would like to be able to fill that position with some uh, somebody younger. What are you seeing in that? <laughs> yes, they do. And, 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 they're, and they're haunted by the specter of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who during the Obama administration was getting pressure to retire, refused to, and then passes away about, uh, you know, a little over a month before the election of, a, of another Dem- Democrat. But I, I think that Breyer has so far been very resistant to be this kind of pressure. I think in for him, he doesn't see himself as a partisan, even though, you know, people sometimes disagree with that about him. But I, I he has really actually publicly pushed back against this. At the same time, he's in his 80s. Uh, and I think that people see that in uh, I think the bigger thing here is to see that in an era where you have a lot of congressional gridlock, where you have a lot of partisan gridlock in the country, where there doesn't seem to be a clear mandate one way or another based on electoral results going back and forth, that makes the courts more powerful during those times because they are able to operate a little more freely. And I think people see the stakes there that the court right now has outsized pop uh, uh, power. And so who occupies and who's there long term makes a big difference. I'm talking with Adam Carrington this morning. Adam, we're going to step away for just a minute. And when we come back, we'll change the topic to, oh, I don't know, something perhaps less divisive like, oh, critical race theory. I'm sure that'll be easy to walk through in just a minute. I'm sure many of our listeners have a lot of questions since CRT is in the news quite a bit. So stay with us. Adam Carrington this morning here on Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for the day. 
Welcome back to the show. I'm Peter Kapsner. I'm having such a good time with all of you as listeners and with our guests that get booked this morning talking about things of the kingdom from a variety of different angles. If you have any comments or questions this morning, I'd love to hear from you at 877-933-2484. And we are chatting with Adam Carrington. Adam, before the break, we talked a bit about the Supreme Court. And let's change the conversation to a fairly interesting article here about critical race theory and maybe just sort of as a lead in from where we just were. It was interesting to note that in some of the early decisions in the Supreme Court season, there was a nine to zero decision that that seemed to indicate that these justices that a lot of people would believe are on opposite sides of some sort of political aisle. They were almost making a point to say, hang on just a second. We can actually come to consensus upon stuff and, and we can see each other through through a lens of, of working together. And that takes us into this conversation about critical race theory, about Tyndale, who is a, a previous Bible scholar, brought the Bible to the masses in a lot of ways, and, and in so doing, suggested that if we can put the Bible in the hands of the masses, that the masses may disagree on a lot of different points, but there's, there's going to be a lot of wisdom that comes out there too. So kind of take us into this article, and then we can swim around in that for a bit. Yeah, yes, the article's uh, called Betraying Tyndale uh, that's on a site, uh, a, a nice site called uh, Mere Orthodoxy. And I, what I thought was interesting about it, it was trying to bring that historical idea of William Tyndale uh, bringing the Bible in the vernacular to the common people and how this was very much, I think, underlying this very much a pr- principle of the, of the Protestant Reformation, the idea that um, that words can rule us, in, especially if they're the word of God, as opposed to institutions or even God working through institutions. And but I, I and, and I think it, it, there's there's discussion in the article of the possibilities of this and how seeing all people is able to understand the Bible, read it, discuss it, see the essential parts of God's plan and God's will, uh, is in some ways a way of recognizing each other's humanity and recognizing each other's being in the image of God. Uh, at the same time, and this is where some of the debates of critical race theory and other things came come up in the article, I think it makes a very interesting point that there's there's a downside to that that we need to be careful of. And what it is is that 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 there there can be a danger that there can be no gatekeepers, there can be no, um, you know, there can become a lot of subjectivity uh, to say that we don't necessarily well, we, you know, this is what I think it is, you think that's what it is, and what happens is it, that kind of uh, fractural fracturing of what we believe can't be left in a vacuum. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't really become just. Uh, a kind of uh, live and let live relativism, power tends to come back Mm. in and force itself on people and do so through propaganda, uh, manipulation, and even physical violence and force. And I think that the article is saying some of the debates and actions related to critical race theory, both for and against, but uh, uh, across a lot of other levels is showing that uh, we, we have we don't have a uh, we have a knowledge problem on on that side of manipulating knowledge and therefore of manipulating what was meant to recognize the humanity of others and the reasonableness of others uh, for something that that is is used to actually take advantage of others in the attempt to get at truth. 
Yeah, I think what you're bringing up here, Adam, is such an important piece of the puzzle in in terms of when the scriptures ended up in the hands uh, of the priesthood of believers. One of the primary principles of the Protestant Reformation is to sort of flatten all of the organizations out and that we would all be subject to the scriptures. Sola Scriptura was the Latin for that in terms of um, scripture alone guiding our life together. And what happened in that is no longer did we have the authorities and the gatekeepers telling us what the scripture meant. It was in the hands of everybody. But that did lead to then disagreements between what the scripture meant. It led to some now 500, 600 different denominations that have split, uh, oftentimes over what the scripture meant. And in the same way we see in critical race theory, that if you just say, hey, carte blanche, you're either on one side or the other, and you don't recognize that there's probably pitfalls in, in somebody's position, and there might be some things to pay attention to, uh, and pulling this all together, Adam, I think it, the invitation coming back together as a people, both the people of faith, people in our country, is to practice a little bit of intellectual humility and say, hey, look, I probably am missing some things. There's probably some things from the other side that would be worth paying attention to. But that doesn't mean we just accept everything. We really enter into that that process of humility that says, hmm, I wonder what I'm missing here. And that can start bringing us together. Yes, and I'd say on on the Protestant side, as a convinced Protestant, I, I I think that you can learn something from the idea that institutions can help in building up good interpretations of the word without themselves being the definitive interpreter of the word. That in other words, we actually do need to see something in the institutions of 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 say Eastern Orthodoxy or Roman Catholicism without necessarily giving up our own our own ground. That they do have a point that that we can learn from even if we don't accept the ultimate premise. I think that can be similar in our political divides on critical race theory. Uh, I mentioned off air with the Electoral College. Some of the arguments I think that the left makes for a national popular vote really are end up being critical of their own views of affirmative action. I mm-hmm. think the right makes certain arguments about protecting uh, sort of underprivileged parts of the country, the the flyover country, small towns, the Rust Belt, uh, in, and says that the Electoral College protects it in giving it somewhat outsized political power on grounds that, you know, could defend affirmative action. And that doesn't mean I, I think that people need to give up their own views on, say, affirmative action or on critical race theory. But are there ways that you can see across uh, the aisle on something, therefore, you could work together? Could you work on something that both attempts to uh, help those who have less social and economic power but still treat people equally? Uh, on critical race theory, I think there's a lot to criticize on it, I should say. But um, there, there, there are some things that are brought up in the article and elsewhere where we can say, how can we um, work together to bolster families in urban and other underprivileged areas that seem to underlie some of the uh, uh, societal problems that critical race theory wants to point to? How can we look at policing, for example, where we recognize that there are a lot of good police doing really good work, but that the way they interact with communities might need to be worked on in certain particular instances. Those are what the ways that you can kind of affirm your own principle but reach across the aisle. But it takes, as you said, a kind of intellectual humility that recognizes that truth can be got to 
but it can be got to outside your own maybe immediate intuition or opinion. Yeah. So Adam, we just have a couple minutes left, but I think you're bringing up a really important point here. And, and I'm with you. We talk about critical race theory and other ways of understanding one another in terms of maybe through the lens of individualism and opportunity, libertarianism. There's a lot of different ways we as a country have tried to see each other. And critical critical race theory is is one of the more recent ones. And it is a zoo in many different ways. When we start investigating in class, you see the faultiness of many premises and you can see where it would lead to a lot of division and strife and turmoil and it shouldn't just be wholeheartedly embraced. But like anything else, there are things we can learn. And one of the things you just mentioned is the idea that there really is a difference in the starting line for people oftentimes in life. Uh, Some people start at the minus 50 yard line and some people start at the plus 50 yard line. And those are important things to pay attention to. Yes. And I think therefore, uh, what it, what it, and it for, and, and this idea of intellectual humility does matter a lot in trying to realize that and realizing that while there is objective pr- truth, you come at it from your own subjective perspective. And that's where I think, especially uh, those who affirm critical race theory could use some humility <laughs> in the way that they they uh, go after and accuse uh, others, the other side of bad intentions or, or, or ignorance and, and, and bigotry. And I think that, uh, that what, what this is also trying to do is build up habits of citizenship where the way you create a common good is one of two ways. You imprison and, and kill everyone else so the common good is you, <laughs> or you have to reach across some tensions and differences and maybe not get everything you want, not sacrifice your principles, but come together in a way that finds what is common between us, what can we understand commonly. And, uh, uh, and, and that's, I think, something that we're we're out of practice with and something that we have to work on and and something that's not natural or easy uh, because we do have to have principles we do have to stick to them but how can we find common ground i think that's that that's the difficulty in our own time great stuff adam as always love chatting with you great to catch up like this have a great rest of the summer if we don't have a chance to talk again soon you all as well thank you we'll take a short break and wrap up hour one preview what's coming up on hour two here on mornings without carmen So some of the virtues taught in places like universities in terms of coming to our sense of knowledge, two of the virtues are are intellectual humility and intellectual honesty. Those are really two important pieces that I think can help bring us back together in some ways to be able to say in intellectual humility, number one, I probably am missing some stuff. There's a whole lot to know in this world, and I bet I don't know it all. That's intellectual humility. Intellectual honesty is as you come to new information, new data, new understandings, new ways of talking about things that if it has merit, you have the honesty to walk it out and say yes to that and change your mind should it be necessary. I love talking with Adam about those things. Upcoming up next, Next here, in just a few moments, we'll talk with Mindy Belts from World Magazine about some of the world headlines that are important to us as believers. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.